Well, tonight we're going to be reading Acts 15, so turn your Bible or your app to Acts 15. And we have none other than Orlena Ballard, who's going to come up and read. If you know her well, you're allowed to call her Mama B. If not, just call her Mama B anyway, and um, she'll smile. By the way, she's awesome. All right, let's read Acts 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they were traveling through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the God who knows the heart and showed the Sorry, I wrote notes in this and I can't read. <laughs> God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we, we are saved, just as you are. The whole assembly became quiet, became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. 
You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Uh, yeah, 40 some odd verses on a Sunday morning. And she had about 30 minutes warning. Um, that's how we roll. So uh, what do we get from such a long uh, chapter? A growing church can be a messy church. You just need to know that. Uh, the way we know that is a growing family could be a messy family, like literally, right? You have less time to clean. There's more potential for chaos. As a matter of fact, some of you do not raise your hand right now. Some of you, just because of stuff, right? You didn't get a lot of sleep, although one of you messed up the clock thing last night or whatever. We won't get into that. But um, you have children who maybe are thrown off and right now you're in the middle of a conflict. Now you're not saying it because you're nice, right? But right now, you're, you're not in tune with the person that you're seated next to. Now, I don't know that, but I just know in a community this big that a growing family can sometimes be messy. And so what we're going to see here in Acts 15 is how the community works out their challenges. Uh, the, the, the church has been growing mostly Jewish at the beginning, but now it's pioneered. Church is being planted outside of Jewish strongholds, so to speak, outside of Jewish communities. And now you have a church filled with all sorts of people, with all sorts of views about all sorts of things. And the good news is the scriptures do not gloss it over. I love the Bible because it doesn't gloss over the grit of living out community life. It tells it like it is. And we get in detail, thanks to Luke, two, not one, we get two stories of conflict and how the church worked it out. Now, what we're going to do is just look at the two. Then I have a very big announcement about, as our church is growing, changes that we're going to make. And since I lost most of you by saying big announcement, I'll just keep talking for a while, and then we'll get to that at the end. So if you leave early, fooey on Yui. All right. Issue number one. Issue number one. What is it? Uh, do you have to become a Jew to be saved by Jesus? If you read most of Acts 15, it's about a question that actually has zero relevance to us for the most part. Most of us were not born Jewish, and we don't even understand Gentile. So this seems like a foreign question, but it's actually going to be important. 
Do you have to become Jewish? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus fulfilled the law, the Torah. Jesus kept the holy days. Jesus kept the Sabbath. Jesus ate a certain way and avoided certain foods. Do you have to do that to be saved by Jesus? Look at verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, first five books of the Bible, you cannot be saved. This is not a secondary issue. Um, John Stott, who writes a commentary on Acts, uh, has it put so succinctly, I'm just going to read it. We'll throw it on the screen. He says, some teachers were telling Gentile converts that faith in Jesus was not enough, not sufficient for salvation. They must add to faith circumcision and to circumcision observance of the Jewish law. In other words, they must let Moses complete what Jesus had begun and let the law supplement the gospel. Now, this is foreign to us. Uh, As a community, just so you know, guys, when you join Sunset, no one's going to be checking for male circumcision, okay? That would be illegal and get me thrown in jail, okay? So this isn't an issue that we're dealing with, but this was a real issue in the first century. So what I want us to do is to take their issue and figure out the principles, how do they work it out, and then we can take our conflict, our growth, our challenges, and run it through the same grid. Uh, First thing, three things, write them down. And this relates to any kind of conflict in the church, out of the church, between you and a roommate, or you and a spouse, or you and your next door neighbor. Number one, discuss the issue in person. Look at what they do. Verse five, then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, that's the Moses keepers, the law keepers, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Verse six, the apostles and elders met to consider the question. Now, they didn't have the technology we do, so they couldn't blog about it, they couldn't tweet about it, and they couldn't email about it. Can I just suggest to myself and to all of us here and those listening by podcast, when you are in conflict, a very serious conflict with someone, get in a room and work it through in person. How many problems would be solved if we just got rid of electronic mediums for a moment and got in a room? Brew a cup of coffee, have some tea, sit. Some of the heat that we're willing to throw at people because we're not in their face, we would never do in person. And so part of resolving conflict is to do the wise thing, get in a room. Second thing that they do is equally important. Ask for God's wisdom. This group isn't just talking to each other. They actually bring God into the discussion. Look at verse 8. After telling the story of what God, what's been happening, they say, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. They're taking their experience and they're running it through a grid. They're saying God's up to something. Verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do we try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? So they're not just saying, this is what I think, this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is how I feel. They're actually looking at objective truth. They're saying, 
What has God done? What is God doing? And how do we fit? So these leaders come under God's authority. Now this presents a challenge. Sometimes in our conflict, we're running with a mindset of God and his wisdom and someone else is not running with that same mindset. And that's going to be a challenge. And can I just suggest that you can live as best as you can under God's wisdom, no matter what someone else does. You can choose to follow godly wisdom. But let's bring it to us. A lot of the conflict that happens in church is because sometimes I feel like my opinion or my emotion or my perspective is more important than yours. And can I just say, if both of us will come together and seek God and what he is doing. Now, what he's doing here is brand new. It was in the scriptures, but it wasn't obvious. So by the Holy Spirit, they're able to interpret their experience in light of what God had already written. And we know that because uh, look at verse 15. Just jump down. I'm not making it up. It says, uh, James gets up and says, The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And then he quotes, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. And he begins to quote scripture, Amos, an ancient prophecy that now they see, oh my goodness, what was prophesied hundreds of years prior is now coming to pass in our midst. And we need to be in tune with what God said and what God is saying and what God is doing. So we want to be a people that submit ourselves to God's authority, not just our own opinion. So first two are pretty simple. Get in a room, talk about it, and ask godly wisdom. And then the third one is actually the most complicated. Come to a grace-filled decision. They come to the decision together. You have two very heated, opinionated groups. You have Paul and Barnabas, who are Jewish, but have seen that God has included the Gentiles, and they don't have to become Jews to receive the Holy Spirit. You have those who are Pharisees, who are now followers of Jesus. These are Jesus followers. But they say, no, no, no. If we're going to actually follow Jesus, we must become like Jesus. And Jesus kept Torah. Jesus kept to the holy days. Jesus kept the word of Moses. They must become like Jesus, who is a Jew, in order to really be saved. They come to a grace-filled decision. Now, what what do I mean by that? They actually come to a decision. The decision sides with Paul and Barnabas and Peter. In some arguments, there is right and wrong. There is good and bad. Sometimes you just have to say, like, we can't say both are equally good. Here they say, no, the scriptures and the spirit attest. Gentiles do not have to become a Jew to follow Jesus, to be saved. And so there's a whole group that's going to have to submit to that decision. So they do make a decision. But notice that's not the end of the story because they allow grace to step in. That's God's favor, God's goodness, uh, to step in and ease the pain. Look at verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them, and it gives them four things that they, they should do. Now, James, who's kind of the leader in this group, realizes we're going to have to stay together. This is an issue that could blow the church apart. The church could become two totally distinct movements early on in the Jesus story. Jewish followers of the Messiah 
and Gentile that don't talk to each other, that don't interrelate. And so James, with spirit-filled wisdom, extends grace. What's the most important thing here? He is not saying to the Jews, you don't have to walk in the traditions of your forefathers. He doesn't say that. He just says, you can't force it on the others. That is not the requirement to be saved. But he, he, he leaves room for those who enjoy their tradition to keep their tradition as long as you don't make it a stranglehold on the other group. They can practice this knowing that does not save you, but you can enjoy that. So he gives them grace for that. And then he goes to the Gentiles and they, they pick four things that, that seemingly make no sense. These are not four new laws. They're actually just practical wisdom having to do with relating Jew to non-Jew. What we need to know is Jews eat a certain way, a kosher way, in order to live right and free in conscience before God. And so what he says to the Gentiles is blood is going to be an offense if you have your steak rare and there is blood. This is going to totally offend your brother and sister in Jesus. Don't live and enjoy your freedom in a way that's going to hurt your brother and sister. Sexual immorality. When it came to meat being killed, often it was sacrificed in an idol temple, which involved sexual practices to appease the gods. Avoid, abstain, which is a moral thing anyway, but avoid and abstain sexual immorality. Keep yourselves in a way so that you can have dinner together because church is not about songs and sermons. It's about food. I'm not kidding. Church is about eating together. People have nothing in common having a meal together. My friends, the most beautiful part of enjoying Jesus with people from around the world is we can hang out and have a meal together. And even though we don't relate on anything, Jesus binds us to such a tight-knit way that we can spend hours and laugh and talk and cry and pray and love one another. Following Jesus is about living community, living like family. And in a family, if I am in my freedom offending my brother and sister, I'm not going to be able to eat. And so he says simply, there's, there's got to be grace. You Jews cannot put a stranglehold on them, and you Gentiles cannot Snub it in the face of your brothers and sisters. Love one another. So that's the grace-filled decision. Now, let me put this in Portland lingo because some of you are like, I still don't get it. I am not vegetarian. I'm not. I know I've offended a few of you and sorry. Um, so let's just put it into our lingo. Do I have to abstain from meat in order to really follow the way of Jesus? There are some who may suggest that. Not many, but some. And to which I would say I could take you to text. I could take you to the scriptures and say, ain't no way that you could put that kind of regulation. It is by God's grace and it is through faith in Jesus that I am saved. So that secondary issue needs to remain secondary. But at the same time, I want to invite you, and suppose I invite you and your family over to my house for a meal. If I serve you filet mignon wrapped in bacon with a side of chicken nuggets, I have not done you any good. For one thing, chicken nuggets should never go with fine steak, okay? <laughs> Let's just be clear. But secondly, if I'm going to invite you to my home, what I want to do is lovingly meet you where you're at. And if meat is an offense, let's find a good alternative. Not because I can't. It's because 
my time with you is more important. And, and eating the way of vegetarian lifestyle is probably healthier anyway, so there you go. So it's not a matter of right and wrong. Sometimes it's a matter of conscience. And so in the right and wrong, the church stands up and says, you can't add a law to Jesus. That is wrong. But there's also, even in speaking the truth, there's room for grace. So, so the Jew and Gentile debate did not split the church. Praise Jesus. That's the good news. That's issue number one. Now, issue number two is different, but Luke puts both back to back. Hear this. Sometimes it's a big picture issue, a theology issue, a serious issue, and the whole community comes together. Leaders from all churches got together, prayed, worshiped, and came to a decision. But sometimes, most of the time actually, it's going to be personality differences. So at the end of the story about a grace-filled solution, you see a more difficult challenge. Look down to verse 36. Chapter 15, verse 36 says, Sometime later, Paul, and Barn- uh, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So Paul and Barnabas took a year to a year and a half starting these churches. They put their life on the line. They were physically beaten, thrown out of town. But churches were started, and Paul and Barnabas loved these people. So lots of time has passed. Like, we need to go back. We need to love them. We need to eat with them. We need to see how they're doing. We need to teach them. But look at what happens. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, John Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Why? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So there's a sharp disagreement. Now, John Mark is Barnabas's cousin. So they're related. Somehow, we don't get the details. On the trip, all we know is that John leaves. According to Paul, he deserted them. Now, we don't know why. We don't know how. But both of them see the same thing differently. You see, the second issue that's going to come up is who's on the team? Who do I spend a lot of time with? Who do I invest a ton of energy? Who do I go to the local church with, so to speak? And this is where there's going to be some difference. Here, Paul and Barnabas don't see it eye to eye. Paul says, I don't want your cousin on the trip. Here's why. When we're going out and people are potentially going to kill us for the faith, I need to know that everyone on the team's got my back. And when I look at John Mark, in this particular case, I don't see him as having that maturity, a.k.a. if you're going out to war, make sure everyone in your squad is actually going to stick it out. Barnabas is a person filled with grace. He's the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He's like, come on, give us a chance. He was just, he was a 20-something. He didn't know anything about work or responsibility. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Ouch, I'm sorry. If it feels true to you, then take it as a word from the Lord. But for the rest of you, just, (laughs) where did that come from? Oh, I haven't gotten to the announcement, which is going to shock you anyway. All right, so, oh, tension. This is great. This is getting better by the second. So in, in, in most situations, there's not an exact right or wrong. Who's right, Barnabas or Paul? Here, it's a matter of opinion on a secondary issue. So loving Jesus followers, we need to learn this, sometimes have a different opinion and we need to bring it to a resolution. Now in their case, we've read, one team becomes two teams. That's the resolution that they both agree on. 
They both find another partner. They don't go solo. They both go their other ways and do not read into the text because Luke here does not say anything that there's animosity, that they never talk to each other, that they hate each other. He does not say that at all. He says the way they resolved by the Spirit, the way to move forward is two teams going two different directions. And the funny thing is, in the twist of how it works, one team would have covered so much, now we have two teams covering twice as much. Now, we don't know where Barnabas goes after this. He drops off the scene because Luke picks up with Paul. And Luke travels with Paul, not Barnabas. So you get the rest of Acts is about Luke and Paul. But that does not mean that Barnabas, and later on there's inference through multiple texts, that Paul ends up connecting with John Mark again. Do not read into the text. That would be a mistake. So what we need to do is to be mature because we're going to deal with two types of issues. One, that are big. And second, that's more like, who's on my team? Who am I going to hang out with? And who am I going to spend less time with? How do we differentiate? We've got a grid that we use here at the church. And if you go to any of our sunset studies where we teach theology and Bible, you're going to hear this grid again and again. And I hope you find it helpful as you think through what is this issue? Because not all issues are the same. Three things, write them down. Is this an issue to die for? That is, that was issue number one. Are we going to make Gentiles become Jews? That is a dividing die for issue. Here they make a decision. The answer is no. So there are some teachings that need to be rejected. Let me give you some modern day examples. And I'm not pointing the finger. But I think those of us who studied the scripture and thought this through can can reach the same conclusion. Do the Jehovah's Witness teach the same gospel that we embrace? The answer is no, N-O. No, they do not teach the same gospel. Do the Mormons teach the same gospel that we embrace? The answer is no, N-O. Unequivocally, we are not the same as Jehovah's Witnesses. We are not the same as Mormons. And I'm not bashing anyone I'm saying in terms of scripture, theology, teaching, those two need to be rejected. Now hear me. We don't reject the people. We love everyone. But we can reject the teaching as untrue, as different than what the scriptures teach. And so we do that with humility, with grace, but with sincerity and conviction. We reject some teaching. But most of the issues are not to die for. That's the key. What we need to be careful about as followers of Jesus who live in community is making a lower issue a, a die-for issue. L- let me use temperature control as a scenario because it affects everyone sitting on the side of the room. <laughs> what temperature do we keep this room? Do, do we, freezing, someone said. That's the truth. So, so freezing. Is the, this a die for issue, unless we freeze you out, which you would be dead for. I don't think this is a to die for issue. This isn't a, I am not going to worship. That church is a false teaching church because the temperature stays at 68 and does not moderate. Which it's 68 degrees in here right now. Except the blower is blowing across, missing you, touching you, and freezing you. (laughs) So we're working through our issues. We're working through ventilation. It's not a to die for, again, unless we freeze you out. So what is it? Second question you need to ask, is this something to divide over? There are, 
some issues. Paul and Barnabas divide over what to do with their team. They're out on the front lines, pioneering, risking their lives for the gospel. And each person needs to know that the team is unified. And so there are all sorts of churches in the Sunset area by all sorts of names. You have Sunset down the street. You have Sunrise and you have Resound and Calvary Chapels and Westports. You have all sorts of Christian communities that we agree on the majority of things, but there are some differences. And so we don't all meet on a Sunday morning at the same time in the same place. It doesn't mean we are against each other. We're not. We're for each other. But they're real issues. What's the leadership team going to look like? How do you apply baptism? How often do you do communion? How do we understand the manifestations of the Holy Spirit? How do we use our money? Sometimes it doesn't have to be. Sometimes that's a divide for. But hear this. When they divide, they do not leave divided in heart. And you need to catch that distinction. If you choose to divide with the community, it gives no room for slander and gossip and backbiting There's no room. None of that comes from the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, everything in the Scripture teaches us against that kind of mindset. So if you divide with a church or you divide with a particular group of people, you need to resolve the heart stuff and walk away with love and pray for and speak well of and encourage. It doesn't give us the excuse to live ungodly. Never. Um, so, so is it a to die for? If not, is it a to di- divide over? Probably not. I think most of it falls in the third category. Is this something that we debate about? Is this something we just debate? I think for us as believers, and what we try to do as a church, you just need to know every issue, we run through this grid. And you know what we're trying to do? Is, is really push it down to this, let's just debate over it. We don't have to divide. We make every effort possible to say, this issue, is it really? It's, most of the time, it's not a die for. And most churches that preach the scriptures here, we're not dying over issues. We agree on most things. But we try to say, that if, if others would divide, can we stay together on it? And let's just make it a debate. Like, perfect example. Could you possibly be a Royals fan when you have the New York Mets? Could, could, how, how could you? I'm not going to leave the church if you're going for the team up 3-1 right now. Or, but, 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 that, but that's okay. We're just going to debate about it. Democrat, Republican, Independent. We've got an election year coming up. And everyone wants to vote their issue because their issue is the cornerstone issue that's going to keep the church from dying. No, it's not. We're going to debate about that. We're not going to divide over it. What about education? Are you going to go homeschool? Are you going to do private? Are you going to go public? We're just going to debate about that. We're not going to impose my particular value on how to educate my kids. We're not going to be the homeschool church or the private school church, which has a lot of money, evidently, or the public school church. Like, we're, we're just going to debate about issues in love. When I say debate, I'm, I don't mean like go toe-to-toe. I mean just like have an opinion, Wear your duck, wear your beaver, wear your whatever, and just love one another, right? We should just learn to, to lovingly push down, not make it a die for, unless it really is. Not make it a divide for, unless it really is. 
let's just live with more issues that we debate over. Now, the challenge is, and I'll just speak to myself, I have bought into the cultural bent that my opinion is more important than yours. And that's what gets me into trouble. I am by nature, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be a trial lawyer. I already know, I'd be, I'd, I don't want to do the backroom business law. It's like no fun in that. I want a jury and I want to convince them why. My personality style is just, I know. And here's the funny thing. I could argue either side of it with equal passion. I, I, I actually don't care what the issue is. I just want to win. <laughs> and if the, if the odds are against me, I get more exhilarated. <laughs> and that's okay with one or two things. Everything else just gets me in trouble. It just gets me in trouble. And so I want to be a follower of Jesus like you that learns to, when I say debate, I mean, let's just talk about it and let's just say, hey, this is getting a little heated. Let's just leave sport. Let's just, can we just not talk about sports? Because every time we talk about it, we've got a vein that starts to pop and that's just not helpful. That's not helpful. And you know what? Season to season, sometimes your team's going to win. Sometimes my team's going to win. So let's just be like mature. I don't know about that one. And, and talk about things that matter. All right? Now, uh, um, I want to get to this issue that, that I want to announce. And it's actually not, it's not a die for and it's not a divide for at all. But we are a growing community. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to get back to the heart in a moment. So don't lose track. Because I do have three questions I want us all to really filter through. Because for some of us, we're in real tension, real struggle. And we need God to step in and do healing. But I also do want to talk about where we're going as a community. As you could tell, every week we're putting out more chairs, right? It's because God in his grace is bringing more people who want to experience life in Jesus, who want to figure out who Jesus is, who want to look at faith more seriously. And we want to make room for everyone. Now, we do have a real challenge in that our ratio of physical space here to kid space does not uh, pan out with the real world in that you are procreating quickly, <laughs> which is good. And it's a blessing from the Lord. It's actually mandated. So that's cool. But we figured, and our elders and our leaders have been looking at this for the last year. We see it coming. When do we move our morning gatherings from one to two? Because our greatest mission is to disciple, disciple kids to follow Jesus. So what's going on here is great. What's going on in the other rooms is actually greater. I'm throwing it out there. I'm a parent. And so we want our kids to know the gospel and follow Jesus at a young age. In order to do that, we need to have less chaotic classrooms with smaller sizes. In order to do that, we have already hit our max capacity of kid space with this amount of people. I could tell you I'm going to report when I go over there later how to go. Pretty good. So... As elders, we've been praying, talking, thinking, discussing it with some of you, and we made a decision. That's not immediate, but I just want to throw it so early because I want you to think and pray, and I don't want this to be a disruption to what God is doing. We believe that come the new year in January, with a new year and a fresh start, is the right time to move from one morning gathering to two. Now, we have some more space in here for a few more adults, but we don't have more space to love our kids, right? So what we've decided to do, and we are a church that changes often, so this won't be the first change, but we're going to move uh, from a 10 o'clock to a 9 a.m. 
and a 11.30 a.m. gathering. And let me bore you with the details as to why. A church is a meal, not songs and sermons. So we want to create space to keep this family, because this family thing, where we pray for one another and we have food together, we do not want to lose any bit of that. So it'll go from 9 to 10.30, so that if there's time for prayer, you need to worship more, you need to talk with someone, you need help, no one's in a rush to get out, because the next one doesn't start for another hour. We're going to do food in between both gatherings. That's the only food. Why? Some of you are going to call to stay afterwards, hang out, get your kids, and wait for other people to come and talk with them. Those who come to the 1130, we're going to ask you, actually come around 11. Have some food. See the people. Get an inside scoop if the message was any good. Um, and, 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 and just hang out. We want between 1030 and 1130 to be family life together. Then at 11.30 to 1, that second gathering will happen with kids care, full kids care, and then nothing after, in that there won't be any food afterwards. So we go out, grab some friends, and grab some lunch. So you can grab a snack before and then eat a meal together. Does that make sense? We're doing that because we'll still have a 6 p.m. gathering, but we won't have kids care for that. We're going to push all of our, we want to care for our kids' workers as well. All kids will happen in the morning and we'll have a separate gathering in the evening. So hopefully that does not confuse you or discourage you. This is the debate over. This is not a divide over. We're going to be stronger because more people are going to experience life in Jesus. More people are going to embrace the gospel. More kids are going to be raised up to follow Jesus at a young age. This is a good thing. Is change hard? Yeah, it's hard. You, you may not always sit at the same gathering time with the people that you know and love, but is our city worth it? Yeah. Is it worth us making small compromises so that more people are loved? The answer to that, my friends, if you haven't figured it out, is yeah. As mature followers of Jesus, we sacrifice. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for the many. So what we're asking is not go to the cross. We're actually not asking that. Jesus may ask that. But we're asking, can you work with the team here? And, and as we get closer, you're going to get kids' team, other teams, calling on you to serve. We're going to ask everyone to consider, serve at one and sit at one. Serve at one and sit at one. Maybe twice a month, serve at one and then sit and enjoy the gathering. Does that make sense? All right. Well, now that I riled up, some of you are like, oh man, I wanted like drama. That was it. Sorry for letting you down. But we do have donuts after the gathering, so... It's actually not a joke. We do. <laughs> Announce big and offer sugar. <laughs> Smart. So, okay, when, when we hit conflict, let's just hit the grid. Let's just recap. You got to ask, is this an issue to die for? Is this an, a real issue we need to divide for? Or is this something we just need to debate about and move on? Now, because some of us, and to get serious for a moment, some of us are in real relational tension. I want you to ask, and answer these three, three questions. I'm going to throw them on the screen to be helpful. Number one, who are you in conflict with right now? Who are you in conflict with? Where is there a strain? When I say conflict, you may not be at each other's throat, but you may be avoiding one another. 
because you don't even want to see them. Who are you in conflict with? All right, now that we've got someone, it may be me right now. I may have honestly like set things off for you. I'm sorry if that's the case. That's not our heart. But uh, the second question we need to ask if we're in conflict, number two, where do you need to repent and ask God's forgiveness? Before I go to anyone else, I need to deal with me. And so before I go to resolve with you, my brother and sister in Jesus, I need to ask God, where do I need to repent? And where do I need your forgiveness? Because my heart is off. Fortunately, Paul and Barnabas, we do not see them hating each other. We see them full teams serving Jesus with the spirit at work. And that's what we want to be. So maybe the right response for you is to ask God's forgiveness first and then make the steps towards reconciliation later. All right, last one, and I'm done. What steps can you take towards peace? If I am peaceable, then peace has a chance. If I am not, I'm just going to throw fuel to the fire, right? So every one of us, we can choose to be the agent of peace. Now, best case scenario is both people repent and with the spirit of peace come together and there will be resolution every time. You may not be best friends. You may not be roommates. You may not spend the next 20 years going, you know, hand in hand serving Jesus, but you'll be at peace. And that's what God requires. As much as it is possible between you, be at peace with everyone, scriptures teach. So I could be an agent of peace. I invite you to do that.